Hey, welcome into Tuesday's R for Talking. I'm your host, Nathan Brown. In this week's episode, we get a chance to sit down with Leah Hargrave. Leah and her husband, Lance, along with their three children, have been a part of Mosaic for about eight years. Leah serves as one of our deacons here at Mosaic and also is the team lead for Mosaic Street Ministries. Now, this is a ministry that Leah cannot and does not do on her own. She's surrounded by a team of amazing volunteers, and together they minister very effectively to the homeless community in Austin. So we're going to talk about how Leah got into this ministry, as well as hear some firsthand accounts of how things are going. Let's jump into it right now. Well, as mentioned in the intro, I am here with Leah Hargrave today, and I am really, really excited to talk to you. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. Leah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nathan. I'm glad to hear that. Well, Leah, so you've been at Mosaic since 2013. When did you first get involved with homeless ministry within our local context? And and then I guess a prequel question here, is this a type of ministry you'd been involved in prior to coming to Mosaic, or is this something you got involved in once you came here? That's a great question. I was always fascinated by people that were homeless and was interested in serving them. I was just afraid to. I had served them a little bit through another church. I'd gone downtown and uh, served at a soup kitchen, but really hadn't had any direct contact with people as far as serving them out on the street. So I was really excited when we came to Mosaic to see that there was a homeless ministry. Like I said, I was afraid to get involved. I was afraid of the people. I was kind of timid and shy. And so it took us about a year before I took that first step and got involved and went on a truck run. And I remember going on that first truck run, there was a lady named Claudia that used to be involved with the street ministry. And she was sitting on a curb speaking to a homeless person like they were old friends. And I thought, wow, I would love to be able to do that. I could never see myself just speaking to someone so comfortably that lives on the street. And now... How many years later? Five years later, it's kind of what I do on a daily basis. So it's kind of neat how it's come around full circle that I get to hang out with people that live on the street every day. That is fascinating. So you got involved with the ministry through truck runs. And then, of course, you know, as we mentioned, you're a deacon here at Mosaic, and this is an area of ministry that you actually lead now. When did that take place, that transition? And how, how long have you been heading up Mosaic Street Ministry? Let's see. How I became involved leading the street ministry is a complicated question. I actually started serving with the street ministry in 2014, and then I served in various roles, helping lead the kitchen, going out on the truck runs, and doing all of the things that a normal volunteer would do. I had just become a deacon in January of 2017, and I found out in March that my son was using drugs, our family was in chaos, and so I pretty much had a nervous breakdown in March of 2017. I was very sick for several months, and it was just a few months later that I started taking over the street ministry. I can look back now and say that that was a blessing because God used that time to really break me down. I got a new appreciation of mental health issues because I was suffering from severe anxiety and depression as I recuperated from my breakdown. I had a new appreciation of what parents feel like who have children that are off the rails, children that are using drugs because I had a son that was doing so. And so God used that time in my life of brokenness to give me a new compassion for people, a new way to relate to people that live on the streets because so many people on the streets do have addiction issues. Many people have mental health issues. And so 
basically from 2017 to current time is when I have been leading the Mosaic Street ministry. And so talk to us about what you guys do now. I know there's obviously been a time of COVID here. We have had to move our services online, but a lot of ministry you do is in person, obviously. Tell us a little bit about how you guys and your team have been ministering to our homeless community while the rest of the world has been locked indoors. I think that COVID has actually increased the workload of the street ministry rather than decreased it. I didn't end up sheltering at home a single day, I don't think, because the people on the street were still in need and perhaps even more so, especially when the pandemic first started, there were less people out driving around. So folks that fly a sign for money, no one was giving them money. We all know about the long lines at the grocery store, the food shortages, a lot of the foods that possibly a homeless person would buy in the grocery store were not on the shelves. So people were really suffering. And so it has definitely been a time of a lot of work for me throughout the day and uh, every day throughout the week. Since Mosaic Street Ministries serves homeless people, which are considered the poor, it's an essential service. So we actually were never required to shut down. So the leadership at Mosaic graciously allowed us to continue serving people on Sunday mornings. We had to make some changes. We changed the time that we served people and we're actually serving outside instead of inside. We have attempted to enforce some of the social distancing guidelines, although lately that's become more difficult because the homeless community is a group of people that spend a lot of time together in close proximity. So enforcing that six-foot social distancing has been very difficult. Having people wear masks is difficult, especially for me. We've had a lot of new folks from downtown come to Mosaic. When people have on masks, it's hard to recognize their faces. But we've been serving people every single Sunday. We've been serving a breakfast. We serve clothing and socks and hygiene tents, backpacks, all of the things we normally do every week. We do HEB cards and bus passes for people. We pray with people. We have been buying a lot of work boots for people that are still out working. So basically, we have been serving them week after week. The city of Austin has made available some bags of food that people can take. So also, I've been going down to the convention center every week, picking up about 50, sometimes 70 bags of food, distributing some of those to people on the street, also having those available on Sunday morning for people to take as well. Same with gallons of water. I've been driving around with lots of water in my car and taking those to people on the street that are thirsty. So I would not say that this has been a time of slowing down for the street ministry. It seems that it has boomed more than ever. Mosaic's name has definitely been shared a lot downtown. And for example, last Sunday, we had 80 people that were served on a Sunday morning. A typical Sunday morning that would be extremely busy would maybe be 40 people, and we had 80 people last week. So it was just amazing. A bus would pull up and a crowd would just roll in, and the next bus would pull up and another crowd would come in. So we have been ministering to and blessing a lot of people during the pandemic. That's really incredible. Obviously, this is a felt need ministry that you're you're getting there. You're feeding people, providing clothing, even like pop-up shelters, tents, things like that. I know you guys are doing some showers occasionally and all of that. How do you, as, a, as an individual who's leading and also doing, how do you sort of strike the balance in there of meeting felt needs and then trying to come alongside and meet mental, emotional, and maybe most important of all, spiritual needs with the people that you're ministering to? 
So one of the balances that we try to strike with Mosaic Street Ministry is meeting those physical needs that people have and that being the door to meet some of their spiritual needs. And so I would say the first thing that we try to do with people, first of all, for me, is try to learn their name. I want to greet them by name when I see them because that's just the most personal thing that you can do is to recognize someone's face and say, hey, I'm glad you're here today. So that's one thing that's been difficult with the pandemic. Like I mentioned, people having face masks on, but I'm trying and people are really patient with me. But we meet people's needs. If you need a new pair of work boots, if you need some clean socks, if you need some or shorts, if you need a pair of jeans, we try to meet those needs to say, I see you, I know this is a need you have, and this is a need that we can meet. And when people come back week after week, hopefully we get to know them and build a relationship with them. I've heard the expression, meet a need and plant a seed. Just as we meet those physical needs, it opens up their hearts to us. They see that we really care about them. And then we're able to get into more spiritual conversations. In fact, I had a guy just call me a few minutes ago and he had ordered a pair of work boots. And unfortunately, I had given him regular work boots instead of steel-toed. So we were trying to figure out a way for me to meet him later today. And he said, the people at Mosaic Church are the most helpful, friendly, supportive, encouraging people that he's ever met. And he said, that includes any homeless organization that he's been to in the city of Austin. He said, I think he, was, he, he said, you don't get upset. You don't get frustrated with us. You give people hope and I love you. And it just really touched my heart that he said that because I will have an opportunity to see him again this afternoon and tell him that I love him. And just as I develop that friendship with him, it will open the door for me to pray for him and to ask him, hey, how can I be praying for you this week? And so that's kind of how it works with us developing spiritual conversations with people. I love that answer, and obviously I'm asking because, you know, sometimes Christians in Christian culture, we can have a tendency to uh, to just want to focus on, you know, get them saved, get them to pray the prayer. You know, there's a long history in evangelicalism of almost using the sinner's prayer, almost like an incantation, like you just say these words and then you're good, and, and there becomes such a huge focus on that that sometimes we miss all the other stuff. I love what you just described because it sounds a lot more like Jesus. Like, you know, you're hanging out with people, you're you're feeding them, you're taking care of them, and you're then you're instilling truth and planting seeds of truth along the way. I, I love hearing about that. There's a guy named Steve Shogren who pastors a vineyard church up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I remember coming across him years ago where he's now written a book called The Conspiracy of Kindness, but he was talking basically about felt need ministry and how important it was. And so, uh, and his focus wasn't specifically on the homeless community or even necessarily on the poor, although that was a part of the mix, but it was, it was just a ministry of kindness and meeting felt needs for people. And he just talked about how, how powerful that was to come in and to do things that were meaningful to people, whether it was passing out free stamps on tax day or washing cars for free for single moms or what have you. I mean, it just had, had this whole you know booklet list of, of uh, great ideas you could do to, to minister to people's felt needs. And then through that, the love of Jesus was not something that had to be told. It was something that was demonstrated. I was doing some yard work the other day, and I talk about the fruit trees in my yard often, Leah, but uh, right now the peaches are in bloom. You know, it's the middle of June and it's peach season. And I was just sitting there looking at that peach tree, and I was thinking, you know, the peach tree doesn't have to 
go start a blog to tell us how fruitful it is. It just does what it was made to do and it produces fruit and you just walk up and see it. And when I think about Mosaic Street Ministry, it's very much the same. We don't hear all the stories all the time, but we see the fruit of your ministry. That being said, obviously we have you on today because we'd love to hear more about some of the fruitfulness of the ministry. And so maybe you could highlight for us a, a few stories, a few people that you've encountered and you've become you know friends with. Like These are not just your ministry projects, but these are people that really in your life and we'd love to get to know him a little bit through you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would love to share one passage of scripture. I've really been into the contemporary English version lately. And there's a passage in Matthew 25 that we probably all know. But, um, you know, it says, When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And when I was naked, you gave me clothes to wear. When I was sick, you took care of me. And when I was in jail, you visited me. And so that kind of goes back to some of those felt needs that you're talking about just a few minutes ago. And I would even say I might add to that uh, when I needed a cigarette, you gave me a cigarette. I actually, believe it or not, have bought a few packs of cigarettes for people because sometimes in that moment, if you ask a person on the street, do you want a granola bar or would you like a pack of cigarettes? They're going to take a pack of cigarettes every time. And seeing them and that need for the cigarette in that moment is such a blessing. And some, so many people's hearts have been really touched by that. Mm. So I think that is the heart of what I try to do with the street ministry and what we try to encourage with our volunteers in the street ministry is just really getting to know people where they are and getting to know their needs instead of assuming you understand what their need is, asking, how can I be a blessing to you today? What do you need? And usually they'll tell you. So I would love to tell you about some of the people that we serve. My introduction into serving people was a man named Tim. And he was this grandpa looking guy that I thought was a harmless, sweet teddy bear. He had a white beard and gray hair. And I thought as a new street ministry volunteer that I was going to save him and get him off the streets. And so I struck up a friendship with him and uh, bought him a corn dog actually one afternoon on the street and just started a relationship with him. And I took him to some drug awareness classes that he needed to go to. And I was determined that I was gonna walk him through this process of getting him off the street. I was going to save him. And it was a great education for me. He did not have a phone. And so I decided to provide a phone for him. And so I got him a phone and put him on our family cell phone plan. Well, come to find out, it was probably about a year later, I found out that he's actually a drug dealer. Oh my and gosh. So, yeah. So I went and had a conversation with him and said, I'm going to be removing you from my cell phone plan today because I am in effect playing a part of you peddling drugs to all of the people that we serve. And so it was a great eye opener for me. Uh, we always talk about the steep learning curve of serving people on the street. And this gentleman actually is still on the street. And today he actually asked me for $35 to pay the rest of his cell phone bill. And I had to politely decline. But um, it was a shift in my attitude as I got to know him better that building a relationship with him and loving him was what was needed. And that probably living in a house is not something that's ever going to happen for him. He's been homeless most of his life, convicted felon. Uh, I've kind of 
introduced him to my family. He's come over and gone swimming. He's taken naps on my couch, taken showers at my house. He's been over here and I love him. I even put him on my Christmas card one year. But housing is not something that's going to happen for him. But him feeling loved, me having opportunities to talk to him about God and have spiritual conversations, that does happen. So I remember one time he was in the hospital. We were at Brackenridge back when it was still open, and I thought he was going to die. And so we were having conversations about Jesus. What does he think about Jesus, the Bible, um, you know, Jesus coming to die for his sins? Um, I was writing down names of his relatives because I was going to try to contact them for him and let them know that he had died. And he ended up not dying. And through Facebook, about a year later, I was able to connect him with a relative that had been looking for him for 15 years. And so that was kind of neat. But um, he's still out there. He's still kicking, um, still dealing drugs too, unfortunately. His motto that he taught me is buy low, sell high. So, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, um, I, still, I still love him, even though his life is difficult and I guess some would say criminal. But um, he, his life is very typical of people on the street, had a really rough childhood, I would say that's a very common thread among the people that we serve. They've had a very difficult family life. They've not had a stable family. A lot of times there's been abuse in the family, physical abuse. Perhaps the, the parents have been drug users and introduced that to the children. It's just, there've just been a lot of obstacles for these people to overcome. And so some of the issues that they have now as an adult are very understandable. And so I would definitely say that's been the case for Tim. But um, I still love him. I help him make doctor's appointments. We have a doctor's appointment this Tuesday. And he is part of my family, even though he's one of the more challenging members. Mm. So you mentioned when you were talking about your friend Tim that Tim Tim's never going to have a home, which sort of makes me wonder, uh, when you're involved in homeless ministry, like is the goal to get everybody into a home? I think originally... That was the goal that I had for people, that I would be successful as a volunteer if I helped someone navigate through and get into a home. But I'd love to tell you about a couple people that are an example that a home is not the solution to homelessness. Their first one is a lady named Amy. And I've known Amy for several years. I would say she's probably about 50 years old. And believe it or not, before she became homeless, she was a stay-at-home mom. I think she has two children, and one of her children actually is homeless on the streets with her. He's about 22 or 23 years old. But she went through a divorce, met a boyfriend. He introduced her to shooting up meth, and she became a drug addict and has been homeless on the streets for several years. She's had an incredibly rough life. Not too long ago, she discovered her boyfriend dead in a tunnel. I think he had overdosed, and so that was super traumatic for her. But she has just had a really rough life. But because of some mental health issues, she got into housing about six months ago. And so I was able to help her furnish her apartment. I put a plug on my neighborhood Facebook and said, this lady's been homeless. She's moving into an apartment. And people were incredibly generous and provided basically furniture for her entire apartment. So I helped her get moved in and several other volunteers. We got her moved in. And you would think that that is the happy ending to the story. However, I cannot tell you how many times during the week I see her out and about around Mosaic, and her apartment is in South Austin. And so I've asked her, 
Amy, what are you doing out here? And she's told me that she's trying to keep an eye on her son because her son is a heroin addict. And she's terrified that he's going to overdose and die on the streets. And she's still a meth addict herself. And she feels more comfortable on the streets. So I've seen her sleeping on the concrete. I've seen her sleeping on a mattress. I've seen her sleeping in a tent. And this has been within the last month. And she'll spend several nights out on the street. And I'll see her and say, Amy, when are you going back home? And she'll say, I'm going home today or I'm going home tomorrow. And so it's so hard for us to understand because we live in homes. It's hard to understand that mentality. We would think that she has a home, the problem is solved, but she still has that mentality of an addict and she still has that homeless life built into her and it's super difficult to overcome the way of thinking you know this is her part of town these are her people that live on the street she knows where to buy drugs she knows where to fly a sign for money where to get something to eat and so even though she has that air-conditioned completely paid for apartment a lot of times I find her out on the streets so I would say that a home is not necessarily the solution to homelessness. And you can look at Amy and see that to be the case. Another guy I'd like to tell you about is Joe. He has been homeless for many, many years. And through his service in the U.S. Army, he was able to get some housing through the VA. And we did the same thing. We got furniture for his apartment, helped him move in. And so Sherry, one of our volunteers, and I went up to his apartment one day to visit him and take him some supplies for his apartment. And he had spread a towel on the concrete porch in front of his apartment door. And he was laying out there on the, on the towel. He called it his magic carpet. And at the time, he was drinking. He was an alcoholic, and he would drink whiskey and Coke. And so he would just lay there on that magic carpet all day and talk talk to people that were passing by. And we asked him, are you going in your apartment? And he said, no, it was too cold inside the apartment because of the air conditioning. It was too quiet. It didn't have all of the street noises that he was used to. And so I would say for a good two weeks to a month, he slept on that magic carpet right in front of the front door to his apartment, even though he had a place to go inside and sleep. Again, when you've lived on the street for many, many years, just giving them a place to live doesn't solve that homeless mentality that people have. And so eventually he was able to move in. And a lot of people that are homeless do get housing and are eventually successful when they have someone walking them through that process. Now, the story with Joe is a little different because he eventually lost that housing. But right now he has a truck that he lives in. So if you've ever seen a really interesting camper driving around church, he's built a homemade camper on the back of his pickup truck. And that's where he lives lives right now. And praise God, he was able to quit drinking cold turkey almost two years ago. And so he has been completely sober and he is just a delight to be around. He's a really joyful, interesting man to talk to. If you see a guy with a big, scruffy, grayish, brownish beard and a really interesting truck, that's Joe. You should introduce yourself to him. But um, again, just seeing people sleeping on concrete when they have a, a place to go into just really drives that point home that just getting someone a home does not solve the issue of homelessness. Mm. So some people I know find themselves homeless and uh, man, we could probably just do a whole podcast on this next topic, but sometimes when people come out of the criminal justice system, their home has been in a jail or in a prison for a very long time and they come out, sometimes they have, have nowhere to go. Have you had the opportunity to minister to anybody in that kind of situation? 
Yes, I would love to tell you about two different people. There's a guy named Bill that I'm currently corresponding with, and he's in jail right now. And he and I have been riding back and forth, and he's shared a lot of his life story with me. And some of the same themes that we've talked about, he had an abusive childhood. He had you know, some run-ins with the law, time spent in jail. He also has some significant mental health issues. He's told me that he hears voices, so he's dealing with some schizophrenia. And so he finds himself in and out of jail. And just as I've had conversations with him, he's told me that he's tried to kill himself. He finds himself to be really unattractive. He's lost all of his teeth because of his drug use. He's balding. And it was so sad. It made me cry one time when I, I received a letter from him. And he said, I only have four friends. And he said, I was one of his friends, my son Jacob, who's also writing to him in prison. Um, another guy named Terry, who I'll tell you about in a minute. And then the guy at church that comes to teach him and explain the Bible to him. And so that was just heartbreaking to me that in this entire world, he only has four people that he considers friends. And so he has opened up a lot to me and said the times that he's gotten out of jail, there's a drug dealer on the corner where he usually stays, and she always gives you the first hit free when you get out of jail. What does she want? She wants to get them hooked back on drugs immediately because then she knows that she's got that customer back, that repeat customer. And so Bill and I have had an opportunity to talk about changing his people, places, and things when he gets out. I've offered to help him find a place to go to rehab for his alcoholism and drug use. But I really do have a soft heart for these men that are coming out of jail because the cards are stacked against them. It's really hard to get your ID, to get established, or even people that are drug-free and alcohol-free, it's hard to find a job when you don't have a mailing address to receive a paycheck, to receive your tax documents. And so it is really difficult. And so Bill is somebody that, that really has touched my heart. And I am truly praying that he's going to have an opportunity to get out and have a fresh start. And he has told me that when he was out of jail, he used to sleep sometimes on the patio at Mosaic. Oh, and he wow. would sneak, Yeah, he would sneak into the service and sit in the back. And he said it was the only place where he ever felt welcomed and not like an outcast. And mm -hmm. so we've had some interesting spiritual conversations too. He said he wants to get baptized, but he's worried about appearing in front of so many people. He's really shy. And I said, Bill, you can come to my house. I've got a swimming pool. We can baptize you. And so it's just really neat to interact with this man. And I'm just praying that the, that God just rewrites some of the, the lies that he tells himself and some mm. of the, the narratives he has in his head that he's worthless and that no one loves him. And so just getting to reinforce that with him has really been a blessing. Another person who's really special to me was Terry, who I've kind of informally adopted as one of my kids. Terry's 36, and I've gotten to know him really well because he's staying at my house right now. Um, he became an addict at age 12, and he's 36. So that tells you he's been an addict for a long time. And I would say if you name the drug, he's probably been addicted to it. Most recently, he was shooting up meth and... Our paths crossed at Mosaic. He came to Mosaic to receive services and we kind of became friends, gave him my phone number. And he was he had housing for a little bit. He was staying in a motel and called me when I was on vacation and said, I need a place to put my stuff. And so I ended up renting a storage unit for him and he filled it up. And once he moved in, he changed the lock on the storage unit so I couldn't get into it. 
Well, what he did was he started breaking the rules of the storage unit because he was still on meth, still shooting up, not thinking clearly. He started sleeping in that unit. And so he promptly got evicted. And since my name was on the lease, I got evicted from the storage unit. Oh, wow. So I had to go and rent some economy-sized bolt cutters. They were probably three, three, three and a half feet long and go cut off that lock that he had put on the storage unit. And they actually let me stay, but I, I put a new lock on. And so I had to basically turn him back out to the streets. And I said to Terry, I hope you don't die out here, but if you're ever ready to get clean and sober, give me a call. And so he gave me a call, I think it was in March. I don't remember the exact day, but the last day he used math was on March 17th. And so he called me, he calls me mom, and he called me that Friday and said, mom, I'm done. And, and so I went and picked him up and through... God working in a great way. God provided a place for him to go to rehab in San Antonio. So he completed a 45-day 40 day stint in rehab. But unfortunately, because of some past bad choices, he had a warrant out on him. So when I picked him up from rehab in San Antonio, we went straight to Travis County and he turned himself in. So he was incarcerated during the corona pandemic. And what that looked like for him was 23 and a half hours a day isolated in a cell by himself for about 20 days. Mm. Because although he did not have the virus, they didn't want to risk contaminating the general population. So he was in that cell with his own thoughts every day and he would get out for 30 minutes to take a shower and to buy something from the vending machine and then he would go right back in. But he had a tablet while he was in there and he was able to call me. So we had a lot of great conversations. I was able to pray for him and talk to him and just make plans with him and encourage him that God was using this time in his life to teach him patience, to teach him to trust God. And so he actually was released from jail last week. And he's going to be moving into sober living next Wednesday. And so right now he's sleeping on the floor at my house. We don't have a guest room, but he's on a mattress. And so we're just spending time together and getting prepared for the next chapter of his life. And he just celebrated, I think, 93 days sober. So this is the longest period of sobriety he's ever had in his life. But again, he has that same story of his stepmom committed suicide. His dad, I think, died of cancer, but he was born a crack baby. He was used to seeing his parents use drugs mm. in front of him. And that was just a lifestyle that he turned to. And he'll even tell you himself, he would sell himself for drugs on the street. And it is just that lifestyle of brokenness from the parents being passed along to the children. And so it's really been neat to get super involved in his life and to have him call me mom and just be a part of him walking through recovery and establishing a new life. And it's kind of hard because sometimes I want to say, what are you doing? Because he has some money and we were in a store yesterday and he went in and bought a soda, but he also bought some lottery tickets. <laughs> I'm like, don't spend your money on something oh, so silly. You know, you have other concerns besides lottery tickets. But um, anyway, it's a work in progress like all of us are, but it's just a blessing to be a part of his story. But again, he's someone that has a criminal background. He's a convicted felon. And so just encouraging him, supporting him, helping him find employment and getting his feet under him after having spent time in prison and just recently in jail. It's really a passion of mine just to be able to encourage these guys that, that are ready to, to do something new because um, it is definitely not an easy process. But it's a blessing. I would say we've had a lot of new people come to Mosaic from downtown recently. And the really neat thing is that we've had a lot more diversity 
in the population that we're serving. We've had a ton of African-American gentlemen that have been coming, riding the bus from downtown. So one of the blessings of the pandemic is just seeing a lot of different faces, a lot of different ages in the people that we serve. And um, it's just really been, it's really been amazing the past few months. Wow, that's incredible. Leah, I know that over the, over time, as you have ministered to different people, there has been, unfortunately, some folks who have passed away. And I know those are, those are heavy moments. Uh, I remember you sharing with us and us seeing some photographs of uh, a funeral for one of our homeless friends. And it was just a handful of people from Mosaic and some folks that you had brought to the funeral. I'm just kind of I'm wondering how does that affect people in a homeless community because it is a community when when they lose someone you know it's a it's a different kind of lifestyle it's a different uh, situation and circumstance and obviously I'm sure it's hard on everyone how does that kind of thing affect people who are in a community on the street I think when anyone dies it definitely affects the whole community it's amazing how quickly and effective the homeless grapevine works. It seems like if someone dies, that word spreads very quickly, um, even without cell phones. So people definitely care about one another. A lot of times they'll erect a memorial for the person that has died or stop by and visit that post under the bridge or that spot on the side of the road. We had a guy named Sarge just die within the last year. And there's a really neat um, little area, a little memorial for him that has two crosses and his name written there. And so people do speak fondly of people that have passed away. Unfortunately, it's been quite a long list since I've been serving. I started writing names down and I would say probably over 20 people have passed away that I've known personally Mm. since I've been serving in the ministry. So it is significant. Um, One of the most difficult stories for me was a man named Charlie, who I just absolutely loved. He was this sweet old man, another grandpa type. And I met him down on 183 and Fairfield. And he was sleeping under the bridge on a piece of cardboard. And over the years, as I spent time with him, he moved around. Sometimes he was in a tent, but usually the tent was too hot in the summer. So he would end up back under the bridge, just right there along the access road with 183 over him, just sleeping right there on the concrete. And he was almost blind. And so as I got to know him, first of all, we got glasses and then he ended up getting cataract surgery in both eyes. So he was able to see. And we just had different things that we would work on. And he and I just had a great relationship. He was a musician. He was able to play guitar when he didn't have it in the pawn shop. He had kind of a love-hate relationship with the pawn shop because he would get something of value like a bicycle or a guitar, but he would pawn it so quickly because he was not only an alcoholic, he was also a crack addict. And so it's hard to imagine that someone in his 60s is a crack addict, but that was just his reality. He had actually never even smoked a cigarette, but in his 40s, he was really sad. His mom was dying, and he had a relative introduce him to crack as a way to take his mind off his sadness, and he became an addict and ended up losing his house, his business, his wife, and he told me he even sold every piece of furniture out of the house that he had because he was trying to buy more drugs. And so fast forward 20 years later, that's when I met him under the bridge. And so he and I knew each other really well, and we were working on getting housing for him. And unfortunately, he died before that was, a, that was able to happen. I was on vacation and got a phone call from another lady, and she said, I think Charlie's dead. 
And so she drove out there and he had had a stroke and just dropped dead, face down under 183. And so it was heartbreaking because he had been sober from crack for I think 17 days when he died. But the good news is, is that he was a very strong believer. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. And I have no doubt that he's in heaven now celebrating. But that one hit really close to home because I really loved him. He was the sweetest man you could ever meet. He loved to sing. Um, He had uh, opened for Willie Nelson once. He was a country Mm. and Western singer. And he was just an amazing guy. So when people like that die, of course, every death is sad to me. But when it's someone that I've personally loved and, you know, taken into my heart, that one was really hard to get over. I bet. Golly, that's tough to hear. And it's tough to know that that uh, there was many like that. I think when we think about people that are living on the street and we think about street ministry, it almost sort of goes without saying that there's a heaviness attached to it. There's a weightiness attached to it. And there's really difficult, complex situations attached to it. But I, I know that even in dire situations, God has given us the gift of humor to help us get through. And I wonder if you could maybe just tell us a couple of, of times where you know humor has come into play in your ministry to our friends on the street. Oh my goodness. I think I have to laugh at people and have to laugh at the ridiculous things they do and laugh at myself. Or sometimes I would just cry all the time because it is a really heavy ministry with a lot of people that are suffering. But um, one thing I do is I carry a knife. And so it's kind of more of a joke than a protection. But I do whip it out sometimes and point it at people. And they just laugh at me because they know that I'm not going to hurt them with it. And I don't feel like (laughs) I really need it for protection. But, um, you know, I do get that knife out. And another goofy thing I do is that I love to find money on the street. And so it seems like a lot of the homeless population deal in cash only. Obviously, they don't have credit cards. And so they just drop their pennies and nickels. And sometimes it's a really good day for me and I find quarters. And so, you know, they just laugh and they say, you're like us because I'm out there picking up quarters and I'll stop in the middle of the street and grab some money. And so I bring it home and put it in a jar. And some of the homeless people actually even save pennies for me. And when I see them, they'll hand me a bag of pennies. But I just love that. I would just say that just serving people, some of them are just the most kind and generous and polite, helpful people you could ever meet what else do I do that makes me laugh? We get a lot of donations. And so I love trying on the donations because sometimes the things that people donate for homeless people to wear on the street are absolutely ridiculous. It'll be clothing with <laughs> clothing with sequins or people send masks and just really bizarre things. So I love to put on crazy clothes and go out when we're serving the people and they laugh at me and think I'm stupid, but, but I love it. So yeah, definitely. You just have to look for those goofy moments because it is really... It is really difficult to live on the streets day after day. You know, you think about going camping and how when you go camping, you get kind of dirty and sometimes you have a shower facility and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have a bathroom nearby and sometimes you don't. But just the reality of living that life day after day after day in the heat, in the cold, it's really challenging. It's I don't even I don't even know that we can comprehend how difficult that life is. So it, it is it is difficult indeed. We're so so grateful for the work that you and others do out there because they they need it and, and they need they need love and they need care and they deserve it. They're human beings made in God's image. So thank you for for working with them. Now, Leah, rumor has it that that you have another name. Uh, oh but, boy! But uh, but can you tell us 
<laughs> Can you tell us about your street name that you've been given? Oh, goodness. Well, I probably have several street names, but probably the one you're referring to would be Flying Feather, just because I have a feather tattoo. But um, it's not a very tough name. But, you know, most of the time people just call me Leah or Miss Leah. So whatever they call me is fine. But, yep, Flying Feather is probably the street name. And I think it's not even what the name is, but just the fact that they recognize me as a part of the family and that I can have a street name is probably what means the most to me. Um, I think a lot of the people out there do consider me part of their family, and so they welcome me into their camps. You know, I always ask for permission when I'm, I'm approaching someone's house or someone's tent or someone's area in the woods and say, hey, is it okay for me to come in? I don't want to barge in, even though there's not a front door, and people always welcome me in. So um, it's definitely a privilege and a blessing to be able to do that. I was just thinking back to you talking about the weather. I've asked a bunch of people, do you prefer it to be cold or hot? And just like you were saying, I would say 99% of the people said they would much rather be enduring the heat of summer than the cold of winter. Those cold, cold nights where it gets down in the 20s, it is just impossible to stay warm. And we've had people that have set their tents on fire. I think I saw two tent fires this past season where people have something burning in their tent, whether it's a gas flame from a cook stove or a candle to keep some heat going in their tent and it caught the, the wall of the tent on fire. So definitely the elements are something really challenging for people. Also, rain is really hard. You would think the rain would be a good thing. Maybe people can wash off, get their clothing wet. However, a lot of times belongings get wet and there's no way to dry them out, especially when we have those weeks sometimes of cloudy gray weather. And so tents get ruined, blankets get wet, clothing gets soaked. And so those things just mildew and mold and rot and stink and have to get thrown away. So just the weather is really a challenging thing for people that live outside. And uh, just something I don't think we fully appreciate until you're out and you really get to know them. And so sometimes that explains why they are constantly replacing things. You know, we think, why don't you just go wash your clothes? Or why don't you take better care of the things that you have? And really sometimes it is just survival mode to, to keep a, a clean set of clothing or to have something that hasn't gotten wet or ruined or to hold on to something and not have it stolen. It is a challenge every day. Hmm. Leah, a lot of times when people get involved in volunteer ministry, they have in mind like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for a little while. I'm going to do this for a season. What kind of commitment are you asking of me? Is this like a six-month thing? Is this a one-year thing? When you got into this kind of ministry... Did you think to yourself, like, this is something I'm going to just try out for a while? Or did you kind of know, like, I'm called to this? And I guess the follow-up question is, is this something you see yourself doing indefinitely for your whole life? Or does this feel like a season that God has you in? I think that this is definitely the calling that God has on my life. I just had read a book a long time ago called Same Kind of Different as Me. And it was by a guy who used to be homeless called Ron Hall, or actually he wasn't the homeless guy, Ron Hall and Denver Moore. And it just struck a chord with me. And I just really felt like God was saying, this is what I have planned for you to do. And so it's just been interesting over the years how God has grown it from originally me going out on truck runs to getting to know Tim. And then when I got to know Tim, he liked to eat tuna fish sandwiches. So every Sunday when I would come, I would bring him tuna fish sandwiches. And then some other people would start asking for things. And so I'd go shopping during the week and so provide some of those needs 
to where it is now, where I feel like it's something I'm doing all the time. But um, it's just amazing to see how God has allowed me to be a part of the most intimate details of people's lives. Um, Something that I've been doing since the COVID pandemic is helping people file for their stimulus checks. So when people come to church on Sunday, I ask them, have you gotten your stimulus check yet? And so I think I have a couple that I need to file today, but I'm up to maybe 45 stimulus checks that I've filed for. And I don't mean I'm filing for them personally, but the people on the street don't have the capabilities or the technology to understand the simple process of filing for that. And so it's been really neat to be able to help them navigate through that red tape and help them get their stimulus check. But also just being able to give someone a haircut if they're in desperate need for a haircut. Or one guy, his family was coming in and he just wanted to get a haircut and a clean shave so that he looked presentable when they came. A lot of people will bring their dirty laundry to me. I think we have a a laundry program, but right now with the church being shut down, they just bring it to me. So I have some laundry to wash this afternoon when we're done with this podcast. But just being able to minister to people and love them with the most basic needs, whether it's providing a clean pair of socks or taking them their favorite sandwich, you know, that I think that's just what God has called me to do. It's not difficult things. It's not... I guess I would call great things. It's just kind of entering into the little minute details of people's lives and blessing them as I'm able to. So do I think it's a lifetime calling? I would say yes. And so I just continue to to follow him in that. And I do feel like the homeless people are my people. You know, they're the people I feel more comfortable with. I would rather be sitting out on a street corner with someone than in some type of a board meeting or at a fancy dinner. Those are just the people that God has given me a heart for. I know that there are people who are already on your team and undoubtedly over time more will want to be a part of what you're doing. So maybe you could just talk to us a little bit about how people go about getting involved in Mosaic Street Ministry, what sorts of things they can do, what the commitment looks like. Uh, For those who are listening right now thinking, man, this sounds like something I need to be involved in, what should they do? Absolutely. We always love to get new volunteers involved. What we're looking for for someone to get involved is usually a twice a month commitment. I think if you're only interested in serving once a month, you're going to have difficulty developing relationships with people. And we're all about developing those relationships, those friendships with people. And that happens as you're around them a few times during the month. So to get started, you can just submit an interest form from the Mosaic website. But there's different ways to serve. It's a little, it looks a little different right now with uh, the church lobby being closed. But as we all know, we'll be starting to reopen in July. So ways that people can get involved. We have a Sunday morning ministry team that serves. We have some people that are out interacting with folks, praying with folks, taking orders for clothing, passing out breakfast. But some people don't like that face-to-face interaction and are more administrative. And so we also have a big team that works inside preparing clothing orders, sorting clothing donations that we get in, that type of thing. So we have a place for different people, different personalities within the ministry. We have not resumed truck runs yet, but when we do those go out twice a month, we have three routes. We have one that goes out on 183 heading north, 
one that goes south on 183, and then one that goes out on I-35. So that's where we really get out on the street, under the bridges, pulling into camps, ministering to people with food and clothing, and really having an opportunity to pray with people face-to-face. We have a once-a-month community group, which also, of course, is not meeting right now, but that's a great opportunity to break bread with people, to sit down. We celebrate people's birthdays. We have some fun raffle drawings, and really it is, or our goal with that is just to, again, develop relationships and have a family gathering, a community group. We share blessings, we pray for people, and it's just a great time to socialize and at a little slower pace. Another way that people can get involved, perhaps if they are not interested in actually coming out and serving, is we go through a lot of items in our ministry, especially, like I said, with serving so many people. There are things that we are always in need of that people can collect at home. So people that travel a lot, we always take their hotel hygiene items, those little shampoos and lotions and soaps. We take toothbrushes and deodorant. We give those out on a weekly basis so people can collect those at home. We are always in need of items being donated. And as long as they're in good used condition, it can always be used items. We always run out of blankets. So we take blankets, backpacks. We take men's boxer shorts, believe it or not, which can also be used because we can wash those. And something we're desperately low on right now is tennis shoes for both men and women. People come in and the soles are falling off their shoes and we are just out of shoes. So that's something that people can collect. They can go through shoes that maybe they've replaced recently. We love to recycle those shoes. And something that some people have done that has been really successful is do a shoe drive at work or at school, if school ever goes back in session. Or something that's been real successful for me is whenever I have a need, I list it on my neighborhood Facebook group. For instance, one time we were really low on size 13 men's shoes. And so I just put a plug out there in my neighborhood and said, does anyone have used men's shoes? And there was a guy that was a runner. And so he probably brought me 20 pairs of size 13 shoes because you have to replace them when you get a certain number of miles on your shoes. So these are all things that people can do at home, even right now, is bring those donations in. And we are always so happy to receive them. And it is a crucial part to help bring resources to the ministry. And something else people can do is they can just give to the ministry as well. There's a drop down when you're going uh, to the give page and they can donate to Mosaic Street Ministry. And that goes directly to help meet some of the needs that we talked about. We pay for people to get their prescriptions filled, for dentures sometimes, for medical procedures, for haircuts, like I mentioned, buying people work boots and other items that they need. So anyone that wants to give to that, 100% of their money is going to go straight to meeting people's needs on the street. Well, if you're listening today and you think, man, I want to get involved, Leah has just told you many ways that you can do that. Just practically speaking, if you head on over to mosaicchurchaustin.com under our drop-down menu and outreach, you will see Mosaic Street Ministry. And on that page... There's a link at the bottom that says, I want to join the team. And if you will fill that out, uh, Leah or someone from her team will contact you and get you involved in this very, very crucial and important ministry of Mosaic Church. Leah, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been really great to talk to you, to hear your voice, just to to know that you're still out there working and doing the ministry that you're doing. It's incredible. It's incredible to be a part of. It's incredible the work that you do and others within your ministry. So thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus to these people without homes in our community. Thanks, Nathan. 
joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next week.